Well, hello, Heritage. It is so good to be with you today. My name is Jeremiah. I get to be a member of our teaching team, and you are here for kind of the wrap of our Walking with Giants message series. I want to welcome those of you watching online, our brothers in Kiwani, the Bettendorf campus, and of course, everybody right here at Rock Island as we conclude this journey that we've been on throughout the summer, looking through the book of Hebrews chapter 11 at the stories of great and courageous faith that are shared with us there. We've spent uh, many weeks looking at what we can discover about who God is and who he's called us to be through the stories of great giant faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in chapter 11 and 12 of Hebrews today. If you want to turn there or click there, you can follow along on your note guide as well. But over the course of this conversation that, that we've been a part of, we've seen everything uh, from, from princes to prostitutes experience God in his fullness doing amazing things in and through them. We've discovered through the Hebrews 11 journey what it looks like for flawed people to express and live out great faith. It's been an awesome journey where we've celebrated and, and looked at it, how God, even through the heritage family, has been doing impossible, amazing, out-of-this-world things. And so uh, if you've been part of Heritage for a while, if you've, if you've come to many of our services, you'll know that at every point during uh, one of our messages, we, we kind of pause and we ask a question that we say, so what? And it's not because we're being snarky, it's because we want to kind of process everything that we've heard and, and find an actionable next step, in a sense. We believe that faith, courageous faith, is living faith. And faith without works is dead. So we process and wait and pause and see what is it that we do with everything that we've heard so far, and how do we live that out? Every week we have some sort of conversation like that. If you've been following the Hebrews journey, I want you to know that the, the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at today is, by the writer of Hebrews, like the so what portion of the whole book of Hebrews. There's a sense that the, the writer has been bringing us to a place where now we start to unpack a little bit of, of what do we do with this now. And so uh, over the course of Hebrews, as I've said, we've watched just story after story of people who have lived into giant, courageous faith, people who have seen God faithful in keeping his promises, who have seen God go before them, who have seen as God rescued nations, as he developed relationship, as he just undeniably exhibited what it was to be the all-powerful, almighty God, impossible, incredible, out of this world kinds of things. And then we reach a point in that, in that narrative, in that story, where we kind of get a sense of what the point is. It's like the writer is saying, hey, I'm telling you all of this story. I'm letting you hear all of the stories of these people who have done amazing, incredible, impossible, out-of-this-world things as God takes them and allows them to live into courageous faith so that you understand this thing. There's this, there's this kind of foundational thought that we start to see play out. So after he shares all of these incredible stories of faith, this is what we come across in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. The writer says, these were all commended for their faith. All of these stories that we've heard of great faith, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Well, like hold the phone for a minute, right? Didn't they see God do 
amazing, impossible, incredible, out-of-this-world stuff. And yet the writer is saying God, God kind of <clears throat> really honored them for their faith, but they didn't receive what was promised. There's a sense that there's something more. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, I know some of you are kind of thinking, what, what's going on here? That's, that's what the whole point of this summer journey has been. Listen to this. Listen, okay? So here we have, we've seen story after story of great faith building, of God being faithful even in difficult circumstances, of impossible, amazing, incredible, out-of-this-world things happening. And the writer says, I've told you this so you will understand this basic truth. It's the basic truth that seasons everything about their story. It's the basic truth that, that kind of runs through all of the book of Hebrews. It's the basic truth that we really need to wrap our minds and hearts around even today. And it's the first fill-in on your outline if you're following along there. It's this, that God has something better for us. Isn't that so cool? God has something better for us, better than these stories of giant faith, better than seeing God move even in these impossible, miraculous ways, better. God has something better for us. Now, I know most of us are convinced of that because from time to time, we just have that deep-rooted feeling that there has to be something better, that God must have something better. If only I could figure out a way to discover it, to live into it, to make it happen. God must have something better. The challenge for so many of us is the better we search for is often something temporary and shiny, right? The thing that we expect that we think would be better for us is something that, is, that has some sort of immediate value and makes us more comfortable, Surely that's what God means when he says he has something better for us. But you don't get that idea when you read the book of Hebrews, and especially chapter 11, that the something better for us isn't just for me individually, but it's for us collectively together to live into discovering something better that God has for us. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God has something better for you. Bettendorf, I hope you did that with a little more gusto heart, okay? Because it's true. God has something better for you. He has something better for us. And it's hard for us to kind of even embrace that truth sometimes. It's, we sometimes feel like we're afraid of, if we say that, maybe we'll be disappointed or, or maybe that's just not as true as I hope that it is. Now, when I was in, uh, when I was 16 years old, I found out that I uh, had a heart condition that I'd had since birth, but I was diagnosed at, uh, at age 16. We found out I had this arrhythmia, and this heart condition had actually uh, cost us the, the life of, of one cousin, tragically, and, and resulted in some, some heart failure for others, and, and so this was kind of a weird season for me as a 16-year-old boy learning that I had, a, I had a congenital heart defect and that I was fortunate to be alive in that moment. And so as soon as I got that diagnosis, everything started to change a little bit. I remember uh, being told, like, as, as long as I follow the instructions from the doctor, I should be okay. I should have a, a long, healthy life if I do what I'm told. And some of those things included, like, buying a special alarm clock that would start off really quiet. 
and get louder as the alarm went on so that it wouldn't scare me awake, because otherwise I might wake up dead someday. Um, I was told I had to obey the signs at amusement parks that say pregnant women and Jeremiah are not allowed to go on this ride, right? But he basically said, if you just kind of follow those rules, you'll be okay. But I've got to tell you, I felt like, you know what, I know who God is. I know he can heal me. I know he can take that and do something with it. And so, so I prayed and I believed that the better God had for me was, was like a, a, just a physical healing. And I know he can do that, but he didn't or he hasn't yet. So I, I began to get a little disappointed and, and trying to understand why that was. I still don't have all the answers, but I want you to know this, that because of the journey my family was on with that particular heart condition, it has changed the way that cardiologists understand and treat this condition for people all over the world. Because of the experience that I had, first responders now respond to young people having a cardiac event in a completely different way than they did 20 years ago because of, because of the experience that I had. And so better in this case wasn't, wasn't me receiving immediate healing, but God used that to prolong the lives of many, 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 many others. I kind of think that's better, Right? But it's not the better I would choose immediately. And for us, when we start to press into what does it mean that God might have something better for us, we need to, we need to kind of pull ourselves back from what is immediate and comfortable, but what might he be doing for us collectively, all right? Jesus actually said something like this to his first followers. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, just hold up a moment, all right? Did you, did you hear what Jesus said to his followers? How many times have you thought, if you've been a Christ follower for a while, I know I have felt from time to time that it would be so much better if I could just sit at the literal feet of Jesus as he's teaching be there as he casts out demons. Watch as he heals the sick. Be there when he gives sight to the blind. Kind of stand off to the side as he calls the dead forth from the grave. These are things that Jesus did. These are the great things that, we, that we're hearing about. And I think, wouldn't it be so much better if I could just be there when he teaches and when he does those things, when he calms the storm with a voice, with a call and nothing more? when he turns water into wine in, in an incredible way, when he proclaims who he is in all of these different moments, wouldn't it be better if I could just experience that? <laughs> and Jesus, to his first followers, in this moment, he's getting ready to leave. He knows that he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, be buried, three days later rise again, ascend to heaven, and he's telling his disciples, you're not going to see me much longer. But it's actually better that that happens because you're going to do even greater things than the things you have seen me do. Whoa. Think about that for a second. What could that possibly look like? And I believe there, there are those of us who need to live into the better that God has for us. You see, the disciples had it pretty good, those first followers of Jesus. They got to be with Christ. But he says by ascending into heaven, he will be in us. 
We don't just live with him, but he is in us by his spirit. And we're empowered to do amazing, incredible things that bring his kingdom to light in the people and places around us. God has something better for us. It's, it's an amazing thing to behold and to think through for us. So in, in the course of this kind of conversation in the book of Hebrews, remember, this is the point that we've been getting to, that God has something better for us. The writer says that, but God had something better for us. So with us, they would be made perfect. That Whenever you see perfect in the book of Hebrews, it's a, an indicator of wholeness, of things being made complete in the way that they were supposed to be. So there's a sense God has something better for us that together we can experience something we don't experience otherwise. It's really cool, right? This is, yes, this is cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, so now what do we do with that? And that's where we get to the kind of the now what or the so what portion of Scripture. We see this, this passage in Hebrews lay it out for us. Therefore, because of all that, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this great crew of people who lived by courageous faith, flawed people pursuing faith in Jesus, this cloud of people who saw God do impossible things, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of them cheering us on to the something better God has for us, if that is true, the writer says, then let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. What he's just said, in a sense, is like, here's the now what. Therefore, now what do we do? He says, now we live in the freedom of Jesus. If all of this is true, then we need to live into the freedom of Jesus because if we want to experience the better that God has for us, we can't experience it if we're insisting on holding on to the things that keep us from God's design for us. You see, the better that God has for us is a place of great freedom, where we're free from addiction, where we're free from the patterns that keep us in bondage, where we, where we are free from oppression, where we are free from broken cycles in our lives, where we can experience what it is out of who he is and what he's done to really be free. We have to live into that. We receive the freedom of Jesus. The writer said, if this is all true, let's identify everything that holds us back. Let's identify the sin, and sin in Scripture is anything that keeps us from living the life, from hitting the mark of perfection that God has for us. And so the writer is saying, anything, anything in your life that is keeping you from the better that God has for you, get rid of it. Cast it off. It's not worth it. It will keep you from experiencing the better that God has for you. The better God has for you is far and away beyond whatever it is that you're allowing to keep you held back. It's far and away better than the comfortable brokenness that you've become so familiar with. Jesus can free you. If you've not yet stepped into a relationship with Jesus, I'm so thrilled that you're here and having this conversation with us. On the back of your note guide, there's even a, a couple of simple steps that you can take to begin a journey with him, but, but it really boils down to this. We ask Jesus to be the one who frees us, who forgives us, and who leads us. 
And when we do that, Scripture says we're now a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Our minds even are different. And we can live into a kind of freedom and hope that we never had access to before. This is the, the goodness, the better part of it that God has for us. And so if you, if you pray a prayer asking Jesus to be the one who leads you and forgives you, I invite you, share with someone today. Find somebody at one of our campuses wearing a gray lanyard or, or men at Kiwani, one of the heritage men, and share what happens there. Fill out your connection card and place it in the offering so we can follow up with you. But that's just the first step of living in to the freedom that Jesus has for us. We do not have to be defined by the broken patterns in our lives. We don't have to be stuck in a place of addiction. We don't have to be stuck wondering, does God have something better? We can experience freedom there. The first step, if you're aware of something that is keeping you from from knowing the better that God has for you, the first thing is to, as we said, step into a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who does the freeing. But then beyond that, the scriptures indicate that when we confess to one another, when we share with someone else, it's in those spaces that we experience healing. And so I would invite you, find someone you trust, someone who's a follower of Jesus, and you can say, here's something that is holding me back. This is something that is keeping me from experiencing the more God has for me. It's a broken pattern, an addiction, a broken relationship. It's a series of decisions and choices I've been making. I, I need freedom there. Just doing that can break the bonds of slavery to sin as you live into the power that Jesus has for you. Now, there's... There's accountability and there's a journey in that. But we need to live into the freedom that Jesus has for us. Now, if you've been following Jesus for a while, and maybe, maybe you're, you're here and, and there's nothing coming to mind right now. There's nothing where you've sensed the Holy Spirit saying, this is an area where you're not living into great freedom with me. That's, that's okay, but I want to posit there are moments for us as followers of Jesus, the longer we follow him, where somehow we buy into this lie that our faith journey is completely up to us. That if we can just work harder, if we can do more, if we can try more, if we can push harder, then we will prove to God that we are worthy of the love he's promised us. But that's not his heart. There's nothing you can do that will cause God to love you any more than he already does. There is nothing you can do that will cause God to love you less than he already does. We cannot earn his favor. We cannot force transformation in our lives. We walk with him as he leads us. We choose obedience, but he's the one who does the work. In fact, in Philippians, the apostle Paul says this. He says, I'm confident of this. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the one who perfects our faith. Jesus is the one who perfects our faith. If that's the case, then there is great freedom in that for those of us who are Christ followers. We choose obedience. We choose to move away from the bonds of sin and shame. But we understand that we simply pursue the one who made us. 
As we are faithful, he is faithful. He draws us. As we pursue him, he pursues us. It's not all about the work we put into it. It's the relationship with God and, the, and experiencing more and more of what he has. There's great freedom in this for us. So the first thing in the now what kind of moment that the writer brings us to is that we live in the freedom of Jesus. But then the, the conversation continues, and I believe the next thing we see, if God has better for us, if there is something more, then we also live out the peace of Jesus. We live in the freedom of Jesus, and we live out the peace of Jesus. One of the ways we've said that around here at Heritage is, is we can live saved, which is living in the freedom of Jesus, but we live saved to live, or we are saved, excuse me, to live sent. And living sent looks like offering the peace of Jesus. This is really important to the writer, so much so that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, this is what he says. He says, make every effort, say every effort, Make every effort. Just pause there for a second, all right? I don't like passages of Scripture that tell me just keep working it, right? Like work hard at this because usually it's starting to describe something that's really hard or it wouldn't have to tell you to keep trying and keep working at it, okay? Make every effort to live in peace with all of the people that you like. Nope. To live in peace with everyone, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There's a, there's a connection here between holiness, being set apart for the things of God, being set apart to live into the better that God has for us, and our pursuit of peace with others, to offer the peace of Jesus to everyone around us. Jesus highlighted this even in his Sermon on the Mount when he said this, blessed are the peacemakers, those who carry and offer peace, for they will be called children of God. Now, what's hard for us is so many times we begin to understand peace or offering peace giving the peace of Jesus as nothing more than stopping conflict. We either avoid or resolve conflict, and we feel like that is, that is the message of peace, that there just shouldn't be conflict. But that's not at all how the Bible understands peace. When we see peace in the Scriptures, and the, the call to biblical peace for us is not the resolution of conflict because you see in scripture the opposite of peace isn't conflict conflict is really the byproduct of brokenness fracture that keeps us from flourishing is the opposite of peace where there is something severed in the fabric of our lives, of our relationships, of our culture, of our community, where there is fracture, that kind of brokenness that keeps us from flourishing, that is where peace is needed. That's where the peace of Jesus calls us to go forth and pour it out for others. The opposite of peace isn't conflict but fracture that keeps us from flourishing. This changes the way we live. It changes the way we even see those around us. And brings me to ask this question. It's not in your note guide, but it might be worth writing down. What if instead of trying to resolve conflict, we lived as agents of wholeness? 
What if instead of trying to resolve conflict, we lived as agents who are trying to bring wholeness to those fractures in life, in family, in culture, in society, not in our own strength, but as people who know God has something better for us, he also has something better for all of us. And we offer the wholeness of Jesus. Think through your relationships, your marriage if you're married. How does it change interactions with your spouse if instead of trying to resolve or run from conflict, you view yourself as an agent of the wholeness that only heaven can bring? And you start to find out where is their fracture in this home? And how can I bring wholeness there? Now, now hear me. Being agents of wholeness is not the same as being a codependent, okay? Because codependency is when we kind of foster dysfunction in someone. We, we enable that. But being an agent of wholeness addresses the very broken places, and it moves us beyond that place of brokenness. It addresses what's at the very depth and root of our fractured lives. What if instead of spending so much energy trying to avoid or resolve conflict at home and at work and in our communities with the, with the people we like and the people that we don't, what if instead of feeling the pressure to resolve conflict, we chose to live into the freedom that is knowing we are agents of peace? It's who we are meant to be as we pursue the better God has for us. It, it begins to change everything. My desire, my hope for us is that we would explore and experience more and more of what it looks like to live that out in these cities, in us as a church, far beyond us in this region, as we together live as agents offering the wholeness of Jesus. What if? You see, the writer says, if God has something better for us, then, then you and I can live in freedom. We must live in freedom. But that freedom isn't just for us to sit and wait in. It's freedom to now go and live as people representing the kingdom of Jesus, the hope that he has, and the peace that he offers. It takes effort. That's why the writer says, make every effort. It's not an easy call. It's a kingdom-sized task. It's the kind of task that requires courageous faith. If we're going to go into the fractured spaces of community and relationship, it requires a giant kind of faith far beyond even what was seen in the rest of Hebrews chapter 11. It requires a faith that says God is the God of the ages. He's the one who sent us Jesus Christ, his son, to redeem all of the fractures in life, to bring us all into places of wholeness. He's the one who knows the end from the beginning, and he sends us out, and he must be the one to do the work. That is a giant courageous faith and I tell you this if we live into that it's in those spaces in those places in those opportunities where we begin to see even greater things than Jesus did taking place it's an adventurous call but it's not easy it's not easy and when you and I try out of our own strength and experience to pursue freedom and offer peace, when we out of our own effort try to break the broken cycles in our lives, when, when we in our own energy try to live a right life, we get exhausted. 
And when we try in our own energy and with our own limited resources to offer wholeness in broken spaces around us, man, we'll pour ourselves out so fast, we'll just die of burnout. And yet, it's something we're called to do. So how does that, how does that work? If we, if we live in our own strength, we will grow weary, we will lose heart, we will give up. It just, it'll happen. And I think that's why the writer of Hebrews in all of this conversation says this to his first hearers. He says, guys, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose Heart. There's some connection here between remaining connected with Jesus, remembering the work that he has done, that he for the joy set before him, and part of that joy, I believe, was knowing that he was opening the door and the way for you and me to experience the better that God has for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. It, the cross was a shameful, shameful way to die. It was, it was incredibly painful, and it was used as a tool by the Roman Empire to prove once and for all that they were the most powerful kingdom the world had ever seen. They used it as a shameful way to conquer countries. And yet... Jesus takes this place of, of Roman leadership, of government, overreach, of, of just trauma and terror and hardship, and he takes it and flips it upside down and says this place of execution and torture and darkness is now a place where the glory of God will begin to break through, where heaven will be made real, where hope will be known. And then scripture says he ascends to a place of authority, the right hand of the throne of God. Don't forget, in all of this, Jesus is the one who's in charge. He's the one who leads us. We are simply obedient followers. We do what Pastor Sean has invited us time and again in many circumstances. We listen to God and do what he says because he's in charge. We don't have to carry the weight of figuring everything out. And then this last portion of that scripture that's before you. We are reminded to consider, to remember the work of Jesus. Every, every month or so as a church family, we pause to intentionally remember the work of Jesus his life, his ministry, his resurrection, but especially the work of Jesus on the cross. We participate in, in one of the most sacred moments we have this side of heaven. It's a moment called communion. It's where the followers of Jesus, who are living into the freedom that he offers them and pouring out the peace that he's given us, where we come to remember and the scripture writer would say, as we pause and remember, that's part of what keeps us from growing weary and losing heart. That as Jesus poured his life out for us and for the world, so we can offer his life to the world around us. We pause. 
In just a few moments, the ushers are going to serve the elements uh, at, at Bettendorf and, and Rock Island. There's a gluten-free station at the back. They're going to pass a double cup for Kiwani. It's going to be a single serving with, a, with kind of a peel-back bread on top and a cup on the bottom. For Rock Island and Bettendorf, there are two cups with juice on the top and bread on the bottom for good reason. And you're going to take that as they pass by. You're going to pull that right out of the tray and just hold on to it. There's going to be a moment and a time of reflection. And then as you are ready, I would invite you to partake of those elements as, as you are prepared to do so. Before we do that, the, the team is going to come up. They're going to play. We're going to pray. And in those moments, I would invite you to reflect on a couple of questions. The first one is, is asking, where is the next place of freedom that God is calling you into? What is an area of your life where God is saying he wants you to experience freedom there. Freedom bought and paid for by the powerful work of Jesus on the cross. If you know of an area in your life where you're living in rebellion to Jesus, the scripture says not to partake of the elements because this is so sacred. It's so, so intentional that Jesus would invite us into his wholeness. If we choose to live in brokenness, we, we can't partake in the wholeness that he offers. So there's going to be a moment to pause, reflect, and repent of that, to move away from that, to step into relationship with Jesus if need be. And if you are a follower of Christ, then you can partake of those elements. The other question for reflection is this, where has God positioned you to offer his peace, to offer the wholeness of Jesus? And as we partake as one family in communion today, we Remember, we were each born with a heart condition. But Jesus makes us right. And he makes us right because he has something better for us. He desires you to know and experience the better things that he has. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the hope and the truth that you really do have something better for us. God, that, that those places where we wonder, is there more? Oh, there is. God, I thank you that you are the God who gives freedom, that you're the one who lets us experience life fresh and new. And so, Lord, we pause right now and we do ask you, would you show us where? Where it is that you are calling us to live into the freedom that you bought at so high a price? Jesus, by your spirit, search us and know us. See if there's any offensive way in us. God, we pray this because we love you and we want to love you more. We pray this because we yearn for freedom and we want to live into that freedom more. And we know that it's by your strength and your authority that that can happen. So we ask, show us if there's a place where we are not living in freedom and give us courage to turn away from that even now. God, we also ask you to examine our lives to show us where you have positioned us, even in those hard spaces, in those messy places, where because you have better for us and because you have better for the people around us, you're, you're inviting us to offer your peace and wholeness. 
I ask that you would give us strength and courage there as well. We pray these things not for our sake, but for your glory, for your great name. And we ask them in the strong and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.